welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. Bible to Matthew chapter 17. We continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew, series that I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. Last week we looked at the, the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up on a high mountain and Jesus transfigured. And then Moses and Elijah show up. And this radical display of the glory of Christ. Peter is, you know, overwhelmed, and I'm guessing the other two were as well. They just didn't beat Peter to saying something about it. Um, they want to build, he wants to build tabernacles, like little tents for the three of them. And the idea is it's such an amazing experience. We want to stay right here and experience this forever. But as is with life, you can't stay on top of the mountain, right? If you've ever been to a retreat, it's an amazing experience, and, and often there's a sense of the glory of God and the power of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit. All these amazing things are going on, and then you got to go back down the mountain. And that's what's going to happen in our text today. Peter, James, and John wanted to stay up there where the glory was, but they needed to do something else first. And, and on the way back down, Jesus says to them, uh, don't tell anybody about this, which is like, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine the other nine, at some point, the other nine disciples saying, so, what'd you do? What'd you do up on the mountain? Well, it's, it's a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. <laughs> yes, that is an important part of the Christian faith. As we go through this thing we call Christianity, there are times where things are going on around us and, hey, I, I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going on. And, and God would say to you, uh, you don't need to know. And just let it go. Trust him. So, disciples head down the mountain with Jesus and they encounter an interesting crowd down at the bottom. We'll pick it up in verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. 
You know, at, at first, this sounds like just, okay, this is another human need that Jesus is going to have to take care of, and he will take care of it. But there's more going on in this text than might be obvious from what Matthew reveals to us. If we look at uh, Mark's account of this event, that when they come down the mountain in Mark 9, 14, it says, when they came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. So it comes down to this crowd and, and there's, you know, a commotion going on. You know, the scribes are there, the disciples are there, and there's some sort of an argument going on between them. And the other texts tell us, gives us a sense that it is, it is on account of this man and his son. It's hard to imagine how desperate this father is. Later on in the text, we're going to learn that this boy, because he's a, he's a boy, a child, is possessed by a demon. And that demon is doing terrible things to this boy, throwing him into the fire, throwing him into the water to cause him harm. And the father hasn't, he doesn't know what to do about it. He, he can't do anything about it. As a parent, you know, there are times where we think about, you know, you know some of the things our children, we, we go through with our children, and we just like, you know, we're helpless to, to do anything for them. Sometimes because the situation is so dire or because they're making really bad choices in their lives. And we think, what am I going to do? Well, this father, he, he knows he's heard about Jesus. And Jesus, and the things he's heard about Jesus is, well, this, this Jesus guy does stuff. He heals, he delivers And so he brings his son to him. When he gets there, Jesus is up on the mountain. And, and so he says, okay, to the disciples, you're Jesus' disciples, you do it. And they couldn't. They couldn't cast the demon out. Now, the disciples had experience with demons, right? We've read that already in the text. In Matthew 10, 8, Jesus sent them out. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, Freely you have received, freely give. And we're going to read a little bit later on about, you know, where they, they came back rejoicing that they, the demons responded to them. For some reason, they couldn't do it with this one. And Jesus' response to them is, is pretty strong here. Verse 17, he says, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. How long do I have to put up with you people? It's what it sounds like. Forever. <laughs> Thankfully, not like we are. So he's going to fix us before forever starts. Now, it's not perfectly clear who the rebuke is targeted at. Could it be at the Father? Could it be at the disciples? Could it be at the scribes? Could it be at all of them? Maybe. He's going to talk to the disciples a little bit later. And he, but first, he, there's a little bit more to this account that we want to touch on. Verse 18. And Jesus rebuked, rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, now Mark's gospel, and we should always, whenever you're reading the Bible, especially in the gospels, there's, the other accounts often give 
other, you know, details that you miss. And Mark's gospel gives a lot, and Luke's gospel does well, and, and John's gospel. All of them have this account. And, and in Mark's gospel, he has this dialogue with the Father, which is very important to us. And he says in Mark 9, 22, the Father starts in the conversation, he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And how he's saying to Jesus... God the Son, who has done more miracles than they're able to record, he says to them, if you can do anything. Have mercy, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Faith, he's saying, Faith is the key. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What was he saying there? What did he mean by there? The, the father believed that nothing was impossible with God. God can do anything. But he wasn't convinced that God was going to do it for him. That is a problem of faith. He says, Jesus says, if you, if you believe, anything is possible. The Father says, yeah, I believe, but. Oof. Anytime you put a but in your statement with God, you're facing the wrong direction. Some of you are going to get that. <laughs> I don't know what just happened there. That's not in my notes. <laughs> Listen, this is a great prayer. When you're struggling in your faith, and you're just, you're just like, okay, I, I, I want to believe, but I just, I just like I'm struggling here. Pray that prayer. That prayer, that right there, what, what that father, that desperate father said to Jesus is a prayer. Pray it to him. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you want to add details to it, add details to it. But pray it to him. Do your best to believe. Do your best to trust God. And then, and then beg God. That's what it sounds like. He's, he's asking with tears, beg God to help you in those areas where you're struggling to believe. The disciples had cast out demons before. Luke 10, 17, when they come back afterwards, said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Saying, you know, we, we were dealing with demons out there. And they want to know. They're going to ask the question, why, why couldn't we do it with this one? What was the deal with this one? Verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, because they, they didn't want this out in public, you know, why couldn't we do it? Now, why could we not cast it out? Jesus says in verse 20, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Huh? Did they not believe they could cast out demons? They had done it. 
For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. He's saying, Jesus saying to them, it's an issue of faith. Now, we know they had done it before and very often faith you know, our experience plays into our faith. You know, if, if we've done something, if we've had experience with something, typically our faith is stronger in whatever that thing is. But for some reason, they're struggling here. And I, I, I wonder, and it's not clear in the text that that's what Jesus is saying, I'm wondering if it had something to do with them disputing with the scribes. Because if they're disputing with the scribes, they are not in the Spirit. They're in the flesh. And you know what? It's really hard to do spiritual things when you're in the flesh, when the flesh is rising up in you, when the flesh is, is, is going, when you're, when you're angry, when you're afraid, when you're doubting, all these things, all these fleshly things that rise up. If that's what's going on in you, it's really hard to believe. It's harder to believe. And Jesus reminding them, just a tiny amount of faith, of believing, believing that something is true. This is true. If you can believe anything, you can move mountains with a tiny bit of faith. Nothing, Jesus tells us, is impossible for someone with the smallest amount of faith. So if it doesn't happen, if it's not happening, we have to first step back and examine our faith. It, it, it almost always comes back to an aspect of faith. Tiny bit of faith can move mountains. Unbelief is, an, is a sure way to failure. The faith is the root upon which our spiritual life grows. If your faith is weak, your spiritual life is weak. If your faith is strong, your spiritual life is strong. Listen, if we don't have faith, if we don't have the faith that we should have for where we are in our spiritual walk, our entire life can crumble around us. We must always be building and strengthening and growing our faith. It's a living thing within us and needs to be nurtured and cared for like a living thing. Now, as a quick aside, many have interpreted or take verse 20 as some sort of weird promise that if you believe it, you can have it. Name it and claim it. It doesn't say that. Because I have faith, if I have faith, the faith to move a mountain doesn't mean God wants to move the mountain. We got to be so careful. You can believe anything you want, but if God doesn't want what you believe, your belief takes you nowhere. Ivor Powell said this, if God does not remove our mountain, then perhaps he wants us to climb it. Mountains come into our lives. 
things, obstacles, roadblocks, stumbling blocks come into our lives. Hard things, difficult things, tempting things come into our lives. Things that we weren't expecting, things that we don't want, things that are, make our life more uncomfortable, more miserable, more difficult. And we go to God and say, God, boop, get it out of here, right? Is that not our first prayer? Take that mountain away. Move it out of my way, God. Listen carefully to how that sounds. Lord, take that mountain out of my way. Now, now we can pray that way. We can. But we gotta seek, we gotta seek God and ask him, what does he want? Did he put the mountain there? Did he put it there for some reason? Listen, if there's something difficult in your life, pray. And pray and pray. One of the things we see in Scripture is the, is the concept of persistence in prayer. You keep praying until something happens. Keep at it. But if you pray and ask God to move a mountain and it doesn't move, he might be leading you to do something differently with that mountain. Maybe that mountain is there for you. God allows things to come into our lives, right? Do we recognize that? He allows, he sometimes causes things to come into our lives for a purpose and a reason, a reason to make us like Christ, to maybe deal with something that's going on that we have inside of us that he wants out of us. Lots of reasons why God allows difficult things in. And all of them to help us grow our faith that we might be more like Christ. I believe the reason, one of the reasons why the disciples weren't able to cast this demon out is because they had gotten involved in this, this dispute with the scribes. They were arguing. Or it could very well be that, you know, Jesus and, the, and Peter, James, and John are up on top of the mountain and just, they're just overwhelmed by a multitude of people who are there to see Jesus. You know, life sometimes overwhelms us, does it not? So many things come all at once. And we don't know what to do about it. We can't keep up. It's too much, God. And their response was a very normal, natural response. They got in the flesh. It's not right, but it's what happens. Jesus said, it's going to take a different kind of faith. When we get caught up in the, in the busyness of life and the, and the difficult things of life, we will often, and this is very common, again, we, it all, everyone experiences it, we might neglect the very things we need to grow our faith, keep our faith strong. Some of those things that we ought to be doing on a regular basis to keep our faith growing and, and, getting, and staying strong, we just, okay, I don't have time for it today. I'll get it to it next day. I'll get it to it tomorrow or tomorrow or tomorrow. And before long, it's been months. And we wonder, why am I not able to do this? This thing that I've done before, I've handled this before, I've gone through this before, but now I can't. Now it's overwhelming me. Life can sometimes get so crowded or difficult that we neglect those spiritual things that we need to stay strong. Not to mention they're, they're getting, the, the nine that are down there are just dealing with the scribes who just were a nuisance. 
always causing trouble. And then sometimes God just brings things into our life that are hard. Somebody say, yes, I know what that means. I don't like it, but yes, that happens. Some things come in. That's just, that's just too hard, God. Jesus tells his disciples here, in verse 21, he says, this kind, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There are some demons that are going to take a more concentrated effort to cast them out. In Ephesians 6, it says this, something we need to keep in mind when we are dealing with spiritual things. In Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, though we typically focus all of our attention on flesh and blood, on, on people and things around us. Jesus says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. They are not the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your neighbor, your kids, your whatever it might be, they are not the enemy. They may act like an enemy, but they're not. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, our battle is not in the flesh. It's in the spiritual realm. It's going to manifest in the, in the physical, but the real battle takes place in the spiritual and if we focus all of our effort on the physical, we're not even fighting in the battle. Now, it's not explained to us what makes this particular demon unique or special. But it was going to take more effort to drive it out than others. Others that they had already driven other demons out of, of people. Jesus tells us that it takes extra effort. Now, we need to be careful Somebody mentioned it in this morning already, the idea that we don't want to get caught up in, in, in kind of rituals and, and systems in a works-based theology because we don't believe in a works-based theology. But, but some things we, we might have to do to see the power of God operate in our lives. Every enemy that we fight Every spiritual enemy we fight is stronger than we are. Everyone. Every single spiritual enemy is stronger than we are. And we need to know that when we go into the battle. I'm not, when I go into the battle, I am always the underdog. If I go into the battle with Jesus, I am always on the winning side. But I am not stronger than anyone that I stand against. It's Jesus standing against them. And so my place is to stand behind him as he faces off against my enemy, right? Does that make sense? You know, bully comes at you, you get behind the big guy. I'm just going to name somebody here, but it might get me in trouble. Stand behind Kelly. Never mind. I don't know what that means. These demonic forces, and, and the reality is that, that all demonic forces are not the same. And so, you know, we don't, we don't work in a, we don't operate in a works-based theology because no one thing works for everything. And that's what some of these works-based theologies do. They say, okay, when you face this problem, then here's X, Y, Z, and, and, and C. I don't know, pick letters that you do. You do this process, boom, 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 steps one through 12, and you're going to be good. For us to defeat 
those spiritual forces, we need to put on our spiritual armor, and we need to try to do it every single day. We get into our word, we get into prayer, we get into service, we get into whatever we need to do so that we have our spiritual armor on. So when we face that day, we're facing it armed to the best of our ability. And then we do it not in our power, but in the power of the Lord. We let him go before us. We follow closely behind him in whatever battle we're facing, knowing that if I can stay with him, I'm going to win. I may get bloodied, but I'm going to win. We're going to do those hard things in life. We're going to do them because we are walking closely with Jesus. We're walking with him, not apart from him, not beside him, not in front of him. We're walking with him and preferably following him. And he he points here to, in verse 21, he says, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are spiritual disciplines. They're, they are things that, that, that we as believers, they're some of the, just some of the things that we can do to, to grow our faith and deepen our understanding of God and our relationship with him. They're just some of them. There's a, a book out, um, there's several books out on spiritual disciplines. I encourage you to get one and get into it. If you're looking for a reference, come see me. I'll, I'll give you a couple of references. But they allow us to go deeper with God and allow us to fight some of these battles from a, from a stronger position. If you're going to do the hard things that God's calling us to do, we must. I think the thing that this this verse right here, verse 21, is telling us, if you're going to do the hard things, you need to take your faith more seriously. Because some of the things that are coming into our lives, they can't, the faith that you have today is not strong enough. It's not big enough. It's not mature enough. You need a bigger faith if you're going to go through the thing that's coming tomorrow. John Corson said something about this verse that I like. He says, prayer attaches us to God. Fasting detaches us from our flesh. The reality is that our spiritual life, the more we can separate our spiritual life from the, the, the flesh nature, the more spiritual we become and the more powerful we become in the spirit to accomplish the things that God sets before us. And the thing we have to ask ourselves, you know, we, we, we all have them. When we ask, we need to ask ourselves, what hard thing is God calling me to do today? What hard thing, what, what mountain stands before me? Now, it would be wonderful if it was all, you know, rolling plains and, and fertile, you know, fields and fruit, you know, falling off the trees in our lives, Right? Wouldn't that be not? People have other images, I'm sure. But you know, you know, the you know the the beach with the perfect waves and blah blah blah. Whatever your thing is, it'd be nice if that was everyday life, right? But it's not. It's not. Sometimes things happen. Kids get sick, or they grow up and they do dumb things. I know none of us can relate to that, probably. Sometimes they'll choose a pathway that's far from God and it breaks our heart. There's nothing we can do about it. Maybe you're taking care of an aging parent. We can relate to that one. Well, Kelly can. That can be hard. Maybe it's a spouse that is doing whatever that spouse is doing, but it makes life hard. She's got to stop it right now. (laughs) You're distracting me with that. 
creates tension or strife in the family. It could be a job. It could be money. It could be, you know, health. It could be, it's just something. And it comes, and it's harder than I am able. Maybe you've prayed. Maybe you've prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, but for some reason, that mountain is still there. You've prayed and asked God to take that mountain away, and he hasn't. And instead of peace and joy, the peace and joy that we ought to experience in our life with Christ, there are negative feelings of frustration or worry or angry, anger or fear, discouragement, hopelessness, some negative feeling in there that should be joy and peace, but it's not. Listen, those negative feelings, and this might be hard for some to hear, those negative feelings are a problem of faith. That's a faith problem. Now, I have no doubt that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here that every last one of you believes in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Now, you, you would sit there right now if I asked you to raise your hand and ask it, well, those of you that will be, you know, will do anything if I ask you to do it. You know, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you, have, if you trust God, every last one of you, yeah, yeah, pastor, I trust God. But why are those feelings in your heart? Why do you feel Fear or anger or resentment or bitterness. Why do you feel those things? Those negative feelings and emotions, they prove something to us. They prove that we do not trust God completely. There's some area, we may trust him in most things, maybe 99 out of 100, but there's something Something we're not trusting him for the way we should. Something we're not believing. Some aspect of our faith is, is not complete, is not strong enough for us to, to experience the joy and peace that we should experience in this life. And you'd be like that father. And you would say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Even as a pastor, I teach and preach these things. But not too often, I catch myself, and I can almost hear the Lord say, where is your faith, pastor? Brothers and sisters, this is a call to make your faith more serious, to take it more seriously. When that thing is before you and you're praying and it's not going away and you're still feeling the way about it that you do and those feelings are not, 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 not positive. They're not, they're not hopeful. They're not, they're not sensing the peace of God. You're feeling things that are, that are negative. That is not how we are supposed to feel. It's a sign of something in us. Now, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to all of us, me included. We all go through this because unless you're perfect, you're going to have these things. You're going to have something that comes into your life that proves to you you don't trust God as much as you think you do. Every one of us. 
All of us. On a regular basis. Why? Because God wants you to know it. He wants you to know those areas where you don't trust him as much as you think you do. As much as he wants you to. When we come to those things, we need to be like the father in this account. We need to bring them to Jesus. We need to bring them to him. You know, maybe... You know, maybe you brought it, you know, you, you've talked to people about it. You talked to your girlfriends. You talked to, you know, the men's ministry, whatever, and things aren't changing. Well, bring it to Jesus. Lay them at his feet. You do your best to believe. Do your absolute best to believe. And then you ask him, Lord, help my unbelief. Because that if, if you recognize the power of that, if you, if you believe the way that you should, you wouldn't feel the way that you do. Matthew includes a quick, quick reminder about what Jesus was doing here in verses 22 and 23. He says this, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. Speaking of his death and resurrection. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And we often take the issues of life personally. And there's an aspect where it is all personal. That mountain shows up in our lives and, oh, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? God, don't you love me? Why have you forsaken me? And we forget that every one of those things needs to be viewed in the perspective, from the perspective of the cross. We need to see everything in life through the cross. There is nothing, there is no one that the cross does not address. I'm going to make up an example here, so don't read anything into what I'm about to say. If I was struggling with my wife, okay? Did you get the preamble there? If I was struggling with my wife, with Kelly, I can take that personally. I probably would take that personally. Yeah, I can choose to believe that she's doing it out of disrespect or selfishness or bitterness over some real or perceived hurt that I've done to her. Or I can see her through the cross of Christ. Who is she? I believe she is a blood-bought daughter of God. I believe he has forgiven her for all of her sins, even the ones she did to me, or I think she did to me. I imagine she did to me. I believe she is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and he's doing a work in her right now and will continue to until she's perfected. I believe that any wrong that she has done whether to me or to anyone else, is washed away by Christ's blood. Washed away. It's gone. Now I believe that Christ loves her with an infinite love. If I can view her like that, 
what is my, how does my conflict change if I see her like that? Very often it evaporates. Because I believed in the finished work of Christ and that she is a part of that work, I can choose to believe all those things about her. And if there are any negative feelings within me, any negative feelings with me in relation to her, where is the problem? It's right here. It's not her. Even if she has done something, it, the problem is still not her. It's me. And then I imagine myself at the cross. And I pray. I pray, God, please change her. She's messing up my life. No. I don't do that. I don't do that. I want God's perfect will for her. I want, I want her to know joy and peace. I know part of that's going to come when I know joy and peace. And so I lay myself down at the foot of the cross and I, I, I confess to God, God, there's negative things inside of me. There's things inside of me. I know they're wrong, but I can't make them go away. I can't change me, God. Only you can. I ask him to forgive me. I confess my sin. I confess my sin of wrong thoughts and wrong feelings and wrong attitudes and wrong whatever they is. I, I confess those things before him and then I ask him to grow my faith in those areas so I believe him better and more. Give me the faith I need to act like the husband he created me to be, not the one she wants. Not the one she desires, not the one she dreams of, but the one God created me to be. I don't ask God to change her. If there's wrong feelings or thoughts or, or behaviors or whatever in me that the problem is me, I need to change and I ask God to do that changing. And he'll do it by me growing my faith. Actually, everything can be taken to the cross. Everything. Whatever your situation, if it's a health thing, take it to the cross. Remind yourself who Christ is and what he did on that cross for you and how it relates to whatever circumstance, whatever mountain is in your life, there's something in the cross that relates to that thing. Find it. And you keep seeking it until you do. Absolutely everything can be taken to the cross. Everything. At the cross is where faith is born. It's at the cross where faith is grown. It's at the cross where faith is perfected. In this text, as the disciples, they couldn't cast this demon out. Jesus says, yeah, it, yeah this one's different. It takes more. When we're going through things in life and we come to a mountain that we can't move, that's a call to go deeper with God. Whatever that means, Jesus said in this context is with prayer and fasting. Do 
something that draws you closer to God. That's what fasting is about, about denying the flesh and drawing nearer to God. Whatever it is in your life, for some people it's going to be serving. I'm going to serve God in some way that will allow me to deny my flesh, to do, go outside of myself to serve God, and at the same time I'm going to draw near to him. Uh, maybe it is, you know, giving, or maybe it is uh, prayer, maybe whatever it is, do something that draws you into that deeper relationship with God. Get, get into the Word more deeply. Find some way to connect deeper with God, because that's ultimately what's going to get you either over that mountain or around that mountain or help you to pray in a way that gets that mountain pulled out of the way, is because your faith gets to the point where it's big enough it's a mustard seed size, at least, to move that mountain. But we bring it all to the cross. And we let the cross minister to our hearts and give us the faith that we need so that we can pray impossible things. Should we not pray impossible things? Yes, we should. And we should often, and believing that God hears our prayers and is going to do something about it. Let's pray and ask God to do something impossible right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and as we've talked about these things and recognize, Lord, that, that it, Lord, it's all, about, it's all about you, Jesus. And ultimately, everything, we can bring everything to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can know, Lord, at the cross that we can find mercy, we can find grace, we can find hope and peace and joy. Lord, so often these mountains that come into our lives, these, these difficulties, these hard things that come into our lives, they, they so often draw out of us the flesh rather than the spirit. And so I pray, Lord, that I know that even as I'm praying right now, there, there are many, either here this morning or watching online, that, that are dealing with a mountain. And they have prayed. And they, and they don't know why the mountain hasn't been moved away. And so I pray for them, Lord. Give them the faith to keep praying. But at the same time, to, to, to dig deeper into their relationship with you, whatever that means for them, whether it's a, a different style of praying or, or, or getting together with other people to pray or, or fasting or many of the other disciplines that we can, we can get involved with, Lord, that we would find that thing that connects us with you and also helps us to, to, to put our flesh aside that we can hear more clearly from you what it is that you're saying to us, what this mountain may represent to us. Because sometimes the mountains are there for a purpose and our flesh won't let us see it. And so I pray for your people, that you would give them the faith to keep going and to take these things seriously. If a mountain comes, to pray it away. To pray it in such a way that they believe, they know, God, that you're going to do something. And they will pray until you do it. And in the meantime, they draw closer and closer to you in the event that you're trying to say something different than what their heart tells them. Lord, his prayer is meant to knit our heart to yours. And so I pray, help us, Lord. Help us to pray. Help us to, to, 
take our faith more seriously. There's no mountain so big that our God can't take it away or can't help us to climb it or can't help us to do whatever he wants us to do with it. And so I pray, give us the faith. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that needs a special touch today, either, either they need to come to know you for the first time or they need to recommit their heart to you, whatever it might be, Lord God, they'd open themselves up and say, God, I, I just need you more. I need more of you today, God. And I pray, Lord, they would pray it believing. And Lord, if anyone is fooling around with things they shouldn't be, Lord, you convict their hearts right now. Because, Lord, it's hard to pray when we're doing things we shouldn't. It's hard to pray a prayer of faith when we're involved in sin. And so I pray, if there's something going on here, that they would confess that to you now and repent of it and turn away from it. Lord, as we prepare to end this time, we're going to take a time, we're going to spend time together. We're going to enjoy some food together. Pray, Lord, that you use this time to just knit our hearts together with one another. You created us to be one body, knit by one spirit, based upon the word of God and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we come, we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we thank you in advance for the food. We pray for your blessing over it. We thank you for the, for the abundance, Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, that you provided today and that you'd allow us to, uh, to enjoy it um, as we should. We praise you, Lord. We love you for this day, and we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.